Welcome to this week's EG Like Sunday Morning, in which I am joined by not one, not two, but three of my always stellar colleagues. Deputy Editor Tim Burke, Offices Guru Shante Bahitage, and Resi Wiz, a Kanksha Sonny. Uh, how have you all been in this scorching September week? Pretty good, yeah. It's been gorgeous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it has it. been fantastic. Uh, how, how did the family feel, Tim, that, that uh, British summer started the day after the summer holidays ended? <laughs> Oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, they're all right. My my eldest lad, um, now in secondary school, has to oh, wear wow. a full blazer get up, <laughs> like in this scorching heat. And the poor little lad, he's got a tie on, he's got a big jacket. I feel really, I feel really sorry for him. As a guy who hasn't worn a suit in a long, long time since the pandemic, I feel his pain. Uh, but uh, sweltering aside, first week of secondary school's gone well. Yeah, it has. It has. Good. I can, barely rem- I can barely remember my own, but he seems to be enjoying his more than I did mine. You'll have to send him in with a with an armful of our starting out in real estate supplement that you can share with his his school's careers department. And uh... good uh, good shout and good plug. <laughs> Thank you. Got to keep <laughs> keep keep on plugging right uh, uh, as often as possible. So, um, Tim, hmm. uh, let's start with you. This week you spoke to Roger Clark, uh, chief exec of the real estate focused stock exchange IPSX about why the business is being wound down. Now, I'm sure uh, some of our listeners will be more familiar than others, uh, but they'll certainly all be more familiar than me. So uh, can you outline first what the IPSX is, uh, how it was supposed to work and what went wrong? Yes, a little recap just for you, just for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so this this uh, this venture was years in the making, launched uh, officially in 2019 with um, with the backing of loads of big names. So British Land were behind it, Henley put money into it, and M7. And M7 is worth noting because um, Richard Croft, the founder of M7, was probably uh, the loudest evangelist for uh, IPSX um, and and really made a big deal of of sort of putting its story out there. So the pitch when this launched was that this was going to be a new stock exchange that basically democratized real estate investments. So instead of having to put your money into um, a GPE or a Landsec or a British land on the on, on the main London Stock Exchange, you could have a building owner that would form a REIT, list it on IPSX, and that REIT would just hold, let's say, one building. So when they kicked this off, the pitch that they made was that it would allow, theoretically, um Wembley Arena let's say to be floated mm. on this market and 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 you Jess as the man in the street could buy a share and own a piece of Wembley Arena and then get a dividend um dividend through that so it kind of it was meant to be a more transparent um uh retail investor friendly way of of doing of doing real estate investment uh over the 5 years it just sort of ended up being a, a case of an idea that you could see logically working sort of running up against reality so i mean if you think of there there could be fewer sort of five-year windows in which maybe it it, it would suffer more turbulence absolutely right and i mean there's barely any part of the equity or the ipo markets that didn't have a really rough period over those years but if what you're trying to do is is um, is sell a completely new way of doing investment in uh, a highly liquid asset class uh, uh, and and then drum up that demand, 
in a period like this, it, it, as I as I, I put in one of our pieces this week, you start to think that it almost looked impossible, impossible from the beginning. Um, that market ended up with three IPOs, so mm. you know there, there was there was a proof there that this 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 infrastructure worked, um, but none of it none of it really proved that original pitch. So the the deals that happened, first of all, all targeted um, institutional investors rather than retail investors. So it was it was sort of big financial backers who were buying and selling shares in um, in the three REITs rather than, you know, as I say, the man in the street. And all three were linked to um, Richard Croft and M7, which you know, which isn't necessarily in itself a bad thing. You know, the, the, mm. the guy believed in this venture that he'd backed. Um, he was sort of showing as a first mover that it worked, what what kind of deals could be done. But the more you started to talk to people in the market about the, the pipeline behind those transactions, the more you sort of realized that no one else was going to come forward and do deals on this market. There were some firms like Starwood Capital that, that talked about doing it and then um, opted for other ways of, of sort of offloading offloading their assets. And so you you, you just ended up with these with these three transactions, all linked to, to one man who was also linked to the exchange, and and big questions about whether there was ever really going to be a, a depth in that market of other deals and liquidity in, in the companies on it as well, um, which you could, again, you could argue that's okay, um, and maybe it just takes time, but um, this venture burned money. I mean, running an exchange isn't cheap, mm. and regardless of how many companies you've got listed on it it's you've still got a fixed cost base in terms of what you need to to have everything you know just from the tech working through to what you need as, as regulatory capital and if you look at um ipsx's last accounts that it filed with companies house over the course of a year it brought in revenue of a hundred and just shy of 168,000 pounds so keep that figure in mind 168,000 pounds in revenue but its expenses were 5.7 million pounds so you can't you can't really make those you can't really make those sums no. add up in in terms of a sustainable business and i talked to people close to the the company about what it's been trying to do over the last few months and it's been out trying to raise funds and um you know the line is that a lot of people were interested in in putting money into it but people close to that company make the point however much money you bring in it's going to be gone within a matter of months it was simply burning through cash at a rate that you couldn't turn into a into a genuinely sustainable uh, venture and what that means when you're a stock exchange is you get to the point where the financial conduct authority um the the watchdog for financial services says lads this ain't happening um and so <laughs> This week, this week the company the company said it's it's starting a wind down. Mm. Um, that lasts for for I think it's ninety days. Not impossible that during that period someone comes in to buy it. And um, in um, in this week's interview, Roger Clark, chief executive, says they have got talks ongoing with people that are, that are interested in in the business. So it's not impossible that this gets this gets snapped up. Um, but you have to question what any new owner could do with it that that wasn't already tried over over the last five years. So probably more probably more interesting than what happens to IPSX will be what happens to those three REITs that are listed on it. Um, as I've suggested in this week's leader, you, you've got Richard Croft out there with a new investment with a new investment firm that he's um, that he's launched after uh, after selling M7 to Oxford Properties. 
presumably not impossible that he might look at some of those assets and think he still sees a benefit in owning them could take them um could take them under his his new brand but that's really going to be the next thing to watch what happens to these three these three reads um you've got bridgewater place in leeds held in one of them you've got the mailbox up, uh, up in birmingham in another and then you've got a portfolio of warehouses in third what happens to those three I, ipsx if we assume no more um those assets, those assets still need an owner, and if that owner is a REIT, it's still um, um, then it, it still needs to uphold its own part of the deal, and um, and presumably find find a new home. It was a beautiful dream, is all I'll say. But um, <laughs> alas, but alas, uh, yes. bad timing. Um, I think so. As I say, no, but no part of the equity markets has made it through. Has made it through the last few years. Um, you know, unscathed. So to to try something that new and that bold, um, you know, you can argue you can argue the demand was never really proved, but also what a time to be trying to prove that demand in, regardless. Absolutely, uh, and that that brings us neatly. Uh, speaking of things that have been very much scathed uh, over the experiences of recent years, uh, to WeWork, uh, which uh, has begun the sizable task of renegotiating its leases around um the world uh shante that that to me does not sound like a fun process no no definitely not going to be a painless process uh, <laughs> for, for everybody involved but um yeah as you say we work have started discussions with landlords um around the world to renegotiate what it says is going to be almost all of its leases and as a result exit any that are deemed unfit so um dave tolly who's their chief exec, wrote a letter which was posted to the company website and said that following all of a period of what he said was unsustainable hyper growth, the operator is going to be taking action to try and permanently fix um, it. what it said were unflexible and, and high cost lease portfolios. Uh, so, yeah, they're trying to create now what they have said is a sustainable operating model. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is obviously the next step in in the WeWork saga that's been unfolding over <laughs> over recent weeks. So um, as part of the negotiations, they're going to be looking at which locations are underperforming um, and mm-hmm. then obviously exiting those leases and then looking to reinvest into what they deem to be their stronger assets um, to try and improve their product. So um, they said they intend to remain in the majority of its of, of its buildings. Um, and markets, whether or not that actually is the case will be interesting to see, because obviously that depends on whether landlords agree to to renegotiating terms. Um, And then, yeah, they've also said that despite the work they've done in recent years, months and months, that the current lease liabilities are just too high still um, and are just really out of step with current market conditions. So this has been deemed the most sensible route uh, out that situation i suppose um so yeah i mean well, sorry go do, ahead. You, do, you, do, you, do you do you get the sense that that landlords are likely to be amenable to this process or uh it's <laughs> a good question uh i think i think it depends i think probably hmm. not um <laughs> realistically i mean if if they're getting a decent rent um and and then we work are going to ask them to renegotiate for a, a lower price it doesn't really make any business sense for them to, to look at it and say no um but then i suppose 
from for some landlords they'll possibly look at we work and you know think okay well we've got a long-standing agreement with a tenant that we know you know mm-hmm. and that we've got a relationship with so maybe for some it will make sense to renegotiate those leases um but it does depend i suppose how sustainable landlords think that covenant is going to be in future so it'll be interesting to see how many are willing to to sort of shoulder some losses and, and renegotiate and how you know those leases are going to look once they eventually are agreed upon uh, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be keeping a close eye on that with with particularly the, those in the UK I imagine yes absolutely so I'm sure that is something about which we will hear more uh, in the weeks to come and to complete a, a, a trilogy of beleaguered institutions uh, <laughs> having a similarly difficult week is Birmingham City Council um, and right there on the scene uh, this week in England's second city uh, just as the council effectively declared bankruptcy was our very own Akanksha Sonny. Uh, now I'm not looking to suggest for a second that you're in any way to blame Akanksha, that, that's not that's not what I'm saying, uh, but uh, you were there uh, and while you were up there I gather you've been uh, speaking to, to real estate folks and engaging their reaction to the, the big news from the council. Yeah, I have. Um, So Birmingham City Council announced bankruptcy on Tuesday and Mm. I was there Wednesday morning. So, no, I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. okay. Now the alibi is coming in. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, they announced um, a Section 114 notice and, you know, um, they're only going to be spending on necessary services, statutory services like protecting vulnerable people. And well, when I got there and I did speak to a lot of property people, but basically it had been 48 hours since the notice had gone mm. out. So everyone was still up in the air about what it means and what is going to what's going to happen, because um, Birmingham City Council is the JV partner in a lot of regeneration projects going on mm. around the city, the biggest of which is Smithfields. And you can just kind of see it in the Birmingham cityscape when you're you know, in high rise buildings like all these agency types have in Colmoro um, business st- district. So definitely a lot of uncertainty about what it's going to mean for the city. But what everyone kind of gathers is it's not the first time this has happened. Uh, Croydon has announced bankruptcy three times so far and they're still going. So, you know, Birmingham <laughs> City Council will just have to scrape by. Uh, they're looking for um, central government help going down the road to see how to fix this. But for now, everyone's just going to keep their head down, keep going about deals, and hopefully we'll still be getting some good Birmingham news going forward. So no danger that Birmingham is going to be just become a ghost town? Oh, well, none so <laughs> far, but the night is still young. Um, the news <laughs> can still keep coming in. Uh, there isn't any data to indicate mm. what's going to happen. But, you know, as the news percolates with everything that's happening, maybe we'll see changes. Maybe Birmingham will keep going on. OK, so let's uh, let's t- turn to a little bit of brighter news as well, uh, Akanksha. Uh, you, you spoke to Pocket Living Chief Exec Mark Blessing uh, for this week's EG interview and uh, it seemed to have had a very uh, positive interview, very, uh, well worth the read for anyone listening. Um, what did you learn about its build to rent plans, his thoughts on levelling up and uh, his filmmaking history? Oh, well, I'll start with the filmmaking history because it's actually <laughs> yeah. very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, it turns out he ran his own theatre for like 30 years mm. before he got into property. And mm. he his most successful film, well, the one he is most proud of, uh, featured two-time Oscar winner Louise Rayner as like 
near the end of her career you, you know she played this crotchety old grandmother and yeah it was I haven't actually seen it but I was definitely hoping we'd include a poster in the EG interview but apparently that's not real estate news um <laughs> And, uh, have you have you yeah. have you have you managed to find have you managed to locate it on any streaming services account? I haven't. No, apparently it was like in the nineties, so I'll have just keep looking. But um, yeah, definitely going to maybe keep an maybe eye out Tim there. can keep an eye out for a second-hand DVD when he's uh, when he's. <laughs> I will do. Anywhere. I've already visited the IMDb page. That was about <laughs> as. Uh, but I did just for a little fact checking. Um. And, uh, so Blatting uh, actually came across his property career um, idea while he was running theatres because mm -hmm. he was employing all these artists and actors that were working within central London but couldn't afford mm -hmm. to live in central London because house prices were just out of um, reach for them. And he realised the same problem was occurring all across um, public and private sectors for people in that um income sector but where you know it's 30 to 45k a year and um he, his local primary school that his kids went to couldn't retain teachers for more than a year because they couldn't afford london rents either london price house prices or rents so that's where he got this idea of serving the middle mm -hmm. market and uh yeah i'd say pocket living has been pretty successful they have 1200 homes in their pipeline right now and 1600 more to come they're prevalent in 22 london boroughs and now um blessing is looking to de-londonize the economy sorry shante um but you know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's looking at other city councils, um, regional cities, and basically he's inviting them to come to Pocket if they want this mm -hmm. um, business in their cities and, you know, to serve the middle market. Sounds good. Shanta, yeah. any 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 defence you want to <laughs> mount for, for remaining in London? <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the London market speaks for itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um that just leaves time for our resident dynamic uh dj duo uh shante and tim to add a track each to the increasingly eclectic shall we say to be kind uh eglsm certified bangers playlist so i do love it i just want to make clear i do love it i just think it is an absolute mess but that's fine i love it but yeah we'll 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 curate it. it at a later stage shante uh, what do you want to say no, I was just going to say there were no rules of engagement set out no. before we started no, this playlist. Fine, Ergo, it was always going to be slightly. Yeah. That's good. And that's, that's it, why it, it celebrates yeah, exactly. the, the tenor of the podcast. So uh, who wants to go first adding a track this week? Nobody. Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> I think I know what I'm going to add. Right, good. Um, I mean, I think there is, I think it's somewhat organised chaos, I, I will add as well. I think they're all sort of in the same genre, so mm. we haven't gone too too wild with it. So in keeping with the, the genre we've gone with so far, I am going to go with Jennifer Lopez's I'm Gonna Be Alright featuring Naz. That's a jam. It is a jam, it is a jam. And that is based on, we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tim and I, and I had mentioned this song that I had completely forgotten somewhere uh, in in the process of life. Uh, and I only came across it again a few weeks back and realised it's such a banger. So that, yeah, that's my pick for this week. And now a certified one. 
Um, but yeah, Tim, how do you respond to that? Um, my co-DJ will not be remotely embarrassed uh, <laughs> if my pick draws attention to her uh, impending birthday next week. Oh, my gosh. If, if you think birthdays and you think hip-hop bangers, there's only one tune that you can add. So it's got to be 50 Cent in the club. Good choice, good choice. Uh, Chante, do you mind sharing uh, with the listeners what birthday you'll be celebrating next next week? Yes, I will be celebrating my 25th birthday. 25, my goodness. Yes, 25. <laughs> what it was to be 25. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I might add, I'm not the only one with an impending birthday on this call um, oh. in the coming week. Uh, who else is celebrating their birthday next week? This was My, about you. This was not about. Uh, uh, well, I Uno reverse the situation. <laughs> I, I just threw down an Uno reverse on you. <laughs> uh, Tim, will you will you be celebrating your twenty sixth birthday next week? Uh, thirty three. Thirty three. <laughs> Forty four, man. Forty four. How did that happen? I, I don't remember yeah. being twenty five. It uh, must have happened. <laughs> That's how numbers work. But I, don't yeah, I, I know what you mean. I remember. I distinctly remember a few years earlier than that. Uh, but yeah, that and whole period. And later just, as well. But there's a yeah, period that, that whole there period. Where something about the mid twenties. <laughs> just kind of. Yeah, just in my mind, it rounds up to thirty immediately. Do you know what I mean? There we go. <laughs> there you go. Shantae is officially thirty next week. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. Uh, thanks everyone uh, for joining. We will be back next week. Who knows who will join on another episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. Mm-hmm.